Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Jesus brings peace to the nations. Now, in fairness to you, if I did that, in today's world, in today's realities, that would have absolutely nothing beneficial to our lives. We'll, we'll look at that as part of this. But you and I have to understand that, that real hope, real peace, has come from, from something far richer than just waiting for the day that Jesus Christ is going to come and, and give us world peace. All right? Besides that, you know, every year Miss Universe says that she's going to give it to us anyway. So we want something a little bit more significant. We want to go home and go, wow, I serve a Savior who can give me peace right now. And family, I want you to understand that that's true with a young lady, 19 years old, Shelby Houston. Shelby Houston was responsible this week to eulogize her dad, who was a who was a police officer in Mesquite, Texas, shot and killed on the line of duty. Can you imagine, if you will, your dad got murdered. The whole world knows. The whole community is aware. And they come in the funeral to celebrate his life. And up walks 19-year-old Shelby. I want you to hear what Shelby says when she forgives the man who shot her dad. She says this. I have heard all the stories you can think of. But I always had such a hard time with how the suspect is dealt with. Not that I don't think there should be justice served, but my heart always ached for those who didn't know Jesus. Their actions being a reflection of that. Family, if you attended Dad's funeral this morning, and you know Dad had took a bullet, what would you be saying when you were there to eulogize? What would be in your ears this morning? What would be between your ears as you began to reflect on the guy that murdered your dad? Would it be one of forgiveness? Would it be one of almost pitying him for not knowing Jesus the Savior? Or would it be vindictive? Would it be depressing? Would it be so grief-filled that the light of the cross wouldn't be aware? So family, Shelby gives us something that I think that we have to know and we have to have a confidence of. Wow, if Shelby can have that, and Shelby has the same salvation that I have, if Shelby has the same Holy Spirit that Jesus promised me way back before he went to the cross, and he says, I'm going to be equipped with the relationship with the third member of the Trinity. If Shelby had that at 19, can I have it this morning? Can I have it this morning? 
or will CNN, Fox News, and the reality of what's going on around the world so overwhelm me that I can't know the peace of God? Well, so let's, let's read some of the passages in Scripture. And, and you need to understand, trying to understand the peace from Scripture's point of view is trying to have four ounces of water out of a fire hose. It's full. So let's look this morning at just some of the ways in which God says, I'm going to give you peace. And you're going to have it now? And more of it's going to come into the future. Let's read. First off, the one that you know very familiar to you. We can't celebrate Christmas without hearing it. Charlie Brown tells us anytime we watch. Luke 2.15. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Family, peace is here. It's obtained only by a believer in the one who arrived in Bethlehem and was instilled in a manger. Only those. And the angel seems to proclaim it. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, gives us another piece. It says this, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the end of the earth. Family, peace here is the absence of war. And you and I haven't heard it in our lifetime, and we've lived under what is referred to as the greatest era of peace in world history. And you and I certainly haven't heard that. And yet, it's contrasted against what's true. But there will be a day that Jesus says, enough! And we will have world peace. We'll speak to that in just a minute. The biggest one that I'm going to read to you this morning is in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verses 14. I'll stop in verse 18. And in fairness, I'm going to pick and choose, and you can follow here on the screen. He says this, For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Verse 15 says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us to both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For, though, uh, for through him we both have access to one Father, or to one Spirit, to the Father. Family, this is a, a, a long passage, and in fairness, it almost de deals or demands that we would spend the whole morning on it, and we can't. But here, it's simply put as this. The world really has two groups of people as God created the Jewish nation. There is the Jews and everybody else. And there was a conflict between the Jews and everybody else. The Jews did not care about color, the color of your skin. They didn't care about your socioeconomics. They didn't care about anything except one thing. Are you a Jew or not a Jew? And if you were not a Jew, in fairness, you were known as a Gentile dog. All right? 
consequently, being known as a Gentile dog, you really didn't take that too well. And so you turned it on it, and you became prejudicial against the Jewish nation. And you know the history that we see when we see how the Jewish nation's been treated by the world, and there have been times when we have heard of a restoration of that same prejudice. But in Jesus Christ, he says, wait a second. I killed the prejudice. When you accept me as Savior, there's no more such thing as a dividing line. People who were near were the Jews. People who were far away were the Gentiles. He says, I destroyed it. And family, what an encouragement it is. For you and I, we, we divide the prejudicial lines along other things, don't we? We don't, we don't look necessarily at just those two. We, we, can, we can be prejudicial on a whole other long list. But listen to what God said about that long list. I think it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. He said simply that we have something far greater. He says no longer is there Jew and Gentile. No longer is there circumcised and uncircumcised. In other words, there's no spiritual superiority. No longer is a barbarian or Scythian or free or slave. In other words, socioeconomically, educationally, there's no such thing as prejudice when you know Jesus Christ because we're stuck with one another. And in, in Christ, we have a unifier that looks down and says, wow, I've got to overlook that. They're my sister. I've got to overlook that. They're my brother. And we've been united into a family through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's pretty remarkable. And one of the greatest things that, that gives us the privilege of knowing the work of Jesus Christ is when people watch our holiness. And in light of the hurts that we've received, in light of the pain that we've experienced, we look down and say, wow, in unity, I forgive. And so we have these, these ideas of peace. So let's dig a little deeper and kind of walk through them. And I want you to see, we have a number of ways, and I want you to see how God's word presents peace. And the first one is, God brings peace through Christ. Now, never forget against the backdrop of everything that we're going to do today, Christ is the final answer. All right? Christ is the final answer. Never question, never, never worry. If you get lost this morning on everything I'm saying, just come back to that idea, Christ is the final answer. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, God-man, died on the cross for our sins. When he died on the cross for our sins, he changed the paradigm and offers us a salvation. So I want you to see how that change changes you and gives you a chance to have peace. First off, with God the Father. So with the Father. Last week, if you were here, we addressed four incredible promises that the Bible has, and, and really they shape everything about the Bible. The first promise we, we know as the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus Christ fulfills the phrase in that covenant when he says this, in you, in Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus Christ is the real deal. 
going beyond the prejudice, going beyond the offer, Jesus Christ comes into your life and simply says, I'll transform you. I'll make you different. You don't have to rely on your ability to impress God the Father. You'll be able to face him, not on your actions, but on mine. And everything in life is offered anew. So he is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He's the fulfillment of another covenant that's known as the Mosaic covenant. You know it better by the Ten Commandments. So let me remind you this morning, let's, let's have a quiz. How well have you done so far on those Ten Commandments? All right? Let's start. Before you ever knew the Ten Commandments, you were responsible for obeying your parents. How'd that go? All right? You know your kids aren't fulfilling it. And if you're smart at all, you know whether you're a parent or a grandparent in here today, you didn't do all that good either. How'd you do on that thou shalt not lie thing? How'd you do on you won't desire the material possessions of someone else? So you didn't drive past their home and say, man, I wish I had that one. Their car. Their belongings. How'd you do? I think you're 0 for 3, frankly. So we couldn't do the, the Abraham, excuse me, we couldn't do the Mosaic Covenant. Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so in Jesus Christ we have one who became sin for us. He took all of our sin and he put it on himself. And therein changed what we couldn't do in the Mosaic Covenant. We couldn't fulfill it. And his perfection paved the way for us to surrender to his work and accomplish the Mosaic Covenant. We now trust him. In doing so, he fulfills what's also called the New Covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to write it on your heart, not on a piece of stone. So we don't have a Ten Commandments. Now we have something that we know as a relationship given to us by God the Son, Jesus Christ. We have a whole brand new understanding. And we know that that happened because Jesus fulfilled the fourth of the covenants, the Davidic covenant. And so to King David, he says, one of your family will ultimately sit on the throne in Israel forever. And when Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem, we see the genetic line of King David wonderfully, radically fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So it all comes together with Jesus, and the great thing he did is he destroyed the, the problem that existed between the Father and, the, and us. The Bible refers to that as God's wrath is upon us. Now, forgive me again, but wrath. When my dad had wrath, break and run. Don't stay in the same room. Get out of there quick. And if you were the cause of the wrath, the only thing I can say is, oh my. Now, in, in absolute holiness, God's wrath's not like my dad in anger. God's wrath is based on his pure holiness and our inability to live a pure life. And Jesus Christ destroys that wrath when we surrender our ability 
to know what's right, to, to live by 51% good, by any standard that we hope to say, I, I, I've lived good enough, there is none righteous, the Bible says. Nobody's good. Jesus Christ alone paid the price. And so he gave us a new relationship with the Father. Family, it goes on. It's, it's deeper. He cre- to create unity with the family. Is bringing peace. Peace as believers is tied to our treatment by the family of God. We've just gone through what a privilege that is. And God has offered this family to be united around a love for a redeemer that is familial. So 2 Corinthians can say it this way. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And so, family, one of the reasons that we want a, a fellowship, forgive me, I, I, don't want, I don't want fog machines coming out during worship time. I don't want to see a bunch of dance steps, etc. Now, if we have those, but we have a love loyalty for one another, that's different. But if you ever come to a show at this church, shame on us and shame on you. We want you to know one thing. We are so committed to Jesus Christ that no matter what foibles you have, we figure out a way. We're family. If you're young in the faith, we're going to find a way. Because you're just a young knucklehead. And just like that little baby brother, that little baby sister, we're going to find a way. And so family is family. And that's created because you and I responded to a precious truth that you and I know is the gift of salvation. I want you to notice, thirdly, God brings peace through Christ. To live in peace within a fallen world. If I'd ask you today to turn your your bulletin around and start listing all of the miserable things that either you're experiencing or the world is bringing fear into your life, it could be a long list, couldn't it? God's got a different story. So listen to what he says in Hebrews. Strive for peace with one another, or with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So family, we live in a crazy world. And whether that's that neighbor who's a problem, or whether that's our, our hatred of masks, or our hatred of those who don't wear masks, we have an incredible responsibility. If people don't see our holiness in light of that incredible change in the offer of salvation then people don't see peace within us. And what a terrible thing it is to tell the world we know Christ, we know the offer of salvation, but we're going to live in the same contentiousness and the same fears that the unbelieving world is. So God tells us in Hebrews, strive for peace with everyone so that they may see the gospel through our holy lives. Fourthly, 
complete the story. God brings peace through Christ to complete the story. Family, Genesis started with God walking with man in the cool of the day. Revelation ends with Jesus Christ on the throne. In other words, with mankind in a one-to-one relationship. He finishes the story. God always works dramatically, at least I believe. Walk through, walk through your Bible for a moment. We don't have the fact that he was disappointed with mankind. We have a flood that changed the scope of the world. We don't have Jesus Christ arriving at a back lot in Bethlehem alone. We have a miraculous star. We have more than 300 prophecies that says, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. 300 times. Whether who was going to birth him, where he was going to be born, what his name was going to be called, the fact that he would be Emmanuel. And he always did it for one reason. He left us with the awareness that this isn't a vacuum. And so God's going to complete the story, and just like we, our card says this morning, he'll bring peace to the nations. And he'll do so after a dramatic war, a war that will decimate the earth because the world doesn't want Jesus. But he will bring peace. So why does he come? God comes so that we'll have peace. And we've laid out the reasons why. I want you to notice there's a second idea that I want you to take home this morning. God instills peace within us through the Holy Spirit. Now remember, the answer is always what? Jesus Christ, right? So no matter where we go today, Jesus Christ is our answer. God instills peace within us through the Holy Spirit, but we can only have the Holy Spirit because we've accepted the work of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. So I want you to notice, he's the source of our peace. Romans 14, 17 says it this way, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, the peace that the Holy Spirit gives, we know it as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when we accept Christ as our Savior and we receive the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, one of the realities is, is he gives us things that mark us off as believers. Love, joy, peace. You ready? Patience. Goodness, meekness, kindness. All right? How you doing on those fruits? See, he gives it to us. And the first grasp of peace that we should have is that we understand that we're now in a new and right relationship with God the Father. He's not mad at us anymore. And to that degree, we're not afraid of him anymore in the way in which we should be without a salvation. But I also want you to understand, to, to, to sense real peace is an, an inner well-being not only between you and the Lord, but the Holy Spirit engraves on our hearts a desire to live for him and a desire to know that he's in control even when we don't see 
that control. We have a recognition that we're at peace with whatever God's taking us through. I want you to notice that secondly, it's passed on to us as we live out our faith. So Romans encourages it this way. So set the mind on the for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Then when a, when a believer acts like an unbeliever, the action is in direct conflict with the indwelling spirit. In other words, you can't say, I trust God, but I act like I don't. It doesn't work that way. You're going to be in absolute tension with one another. You're going to be absolutely in tension with what's going on between your ears. To sense joy is to recognize that we have a heart that desires to be consistent with him. And as we grow in that awareness that the Spirit has planted peace in us, and we live in maturity and desire to continue to grow in that, we grow with a greater understanding of the work of God in the world and the work of God in our own lives. We have peace. So again, let's look at one last thing. What can I do to promote peace in my life? What can I do to... Man, I live in fear, Pete. I live in anxiety, Pete. This is tough. So let me give you, from my perspective, number one, be a believer. Be a believer. You need to to ask yourself that, that incredible, tough question. Do I really know Christ as my Savior? See, it's really as simple as the ABCs. In A, you admit you can't fix yourself. You live in fear. You recognize whether it's fear of what God will do when, I, when you die or just the reality of living in constant fear of no control, no purpose. You and I have to admit that we're sinners and we need the work that Jesus Christ promised to deliver when he died on the cross. So we admit that. Secondly, we believe. We believe in everything that Jesus did. We believe that he arrived by a virgin in Bethlehem. We believe that he lived a sinless life. We believe in all the miracles that that showed him to be the God-man that he said he was. We believe that he was nailed to the cross. We believe that in being nailed to the cross, he paid the price for our sins. And we believe that three days later, because he was God, he walked out of that grave. We believe that he's there in heaven encouraging us to respond. And so we confess that truth. We admit it, we believe it, and we confess to that truth and we live by it. We commit our lives to it. And I'd encourage you, you want to know peace? No salvation. Family, I want you to notice also 
Be submissive to God's word. You can't say, you can't say, I'm at peace, and then deny God's word. My action should be consistent to the Bible. Your internal peace cannot be guaranteed in disobedience. A lie to get a better job won't provide the peace the financial success the job gives will provide. And you will always live in guilt and a lack of confidence because you were not truthful to the process. Family, I want you to notice, thirdly, be sure of your compass. Be sure of your compass. And what I mean by that is, recognize that what's between your ears can deceive you from time to time. It can deceive you. I can take it to no other place than the moment after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was seen by a number of witnesses. He was seen by 10 out of the 11 disciples, but number 11. Trying to guard his heart. Trying to protect the grief that was inside. Told all the other 10, I'm not going to believe that. And they said, we saw him. We know he's alive. He says, I will not believe until I stick my hand into the spear wound. You see, sometimes you can't trust the noodle that you have. So Jesus shows up. And God tells him, Jesus Christ tells him, go ahead, stick your hand. Here's a spear wound. Stick your fingers in the holes. Stop doubting and believe. You want to know something? He never had to go anywhere to examine the reality. He dropped down to his knees and said simply, my Lord and my God. And so family, sometimes we can be fooled. So you need to make certain that your compass is heading into true north so that you can maintain peace. I want to encourage you. What do mature believing friends tell you? If you look down and you, you doubt your compass, if you look down and you doubt whether you understand what Scripture is teaching you, find someone that you know that loves Jesus and is your role model and take them to a cup of coffee. Ask them some of the same questions and see what they tell you. So, 2 Corinthians can say, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And as you have that cup of coffee and that friend unravels your problems and helps you see with clarity, you'll gain a perspective and a peace that the truth of Scripture begins to unfold in you. I want to give you one final Expect times of fear and uncertainty. They're just going to come. They're just going to come. We have an incredible character in the Bible. I can give you a dozen more examples, but there's nobody better, I believe, than Job. Job was living such a good life that Satan told God, Hey, 
Take everything away from him. He'll curse you. And God allowed the devil to do exactly that. First, to take all his wealth away. Second, to take all his children away. Third, to take his health away. And in frustration, Job challenged God. But when God showed up in his life, I want you to hear what he said. In the very end of the whole story, Job 42, he said, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Now I want you to understand, all God did was show up. All God did was show up. He never explained to Job why this happened. He never told Job, hey, let me enlighten you. And there are times when you're going to have fear. And you simply have to tell yourself, this is a temporary experience. My God's in control. I trust him. And I'm moving forward. Family, I want you to have peace this season. Your story right now isn't, isn't written. It isn't complete. But I, I want you to understand you don't know the finish, but your story can be peaceful when you trust the author of your story. So I want to encourage you today. Just like the bumper sticker tells us. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Father in heaven, be with us. Dear God, allow us to find comfort in salvation and relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, it's the only truth that ultimately and completely gives us purpose, allows us to see the control of God in an uncontrollable world. And Father, allows us a confidence that death does not have victory when we end. So we'd ask that you'd watch over. And to God, as we enjoy the story of Bethlehem through the minds, the hearts, and the mouths of our kids, that to God, we're reminded afresh that even from the youngest of minds, we can already have a peace that transcends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.